Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. My guest today needs no introduction. He is the one and only Dr. Professor Joey Dodson, a.k.a. my best friend. Uh, we studied together at Aberdeen University 15 years ago. I've been best friends ever since. He is a professor at Denver Theological Seminary. would encourage you to check out Denver Seminary. It's one of my favorites, and we'll talk about it at the end of this show. Uh, the 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 reason why I want to have Joey on the show is to talk about the Apocrypha. I have uh, dabbled in uh, the Apocrypha at various times on this podcast, but I've never had a full-blown conversation about it. So I invited Joey, who is an expert in the Apocrypha, to come on the show and tell us all about what the Apocrypha is, what it isn't, and why we as Protestant Christians should read and engage and learn from the so-called Apocrypha. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. Support the show for as little as five bucks a month. All of the info is in the show notes. All right. Without further ado, let's get to know the one and only Dr. Joey Dodson. All right, Joey, welcome back to Theology in the Raw. I don't know how many times you've been on, but not not nearly enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a pleasure. Well, thanks for coming back on, and we're going to talk about the significance and importance of uh, the Apocrypha for understanding specifically, I guess, New Testament studies, although I guess it could help understand a bit of the latter Old Testament to some extent. But um, uh, yeah, tell, tell us, give us a basic introduction. What is the Apocrypha? What isn't? the Apocrypha, and then we can get into why uh, it's good for uh, Christians to understand it and study it. When I say Christians, I guess I mean Protestant uh, Christians. Mm. Yeah, when I lived in Houston, I had a friend named Bob Hamilton, and Bob was part of the uh, Hells Angels. Um, He had dropped out of school like as an eighth grader. Uh, He'd been incarcerated numerous times, Uh, uh, maybe uh, art capturing, capturing his life. He had two tattoos on his forearms of daggers. Uh, with blood coming off of them, and uh, but he's an example of he who has uh, sinned much and, and has been forgiven much, loves not much, and he was just so passionate, but he didn't know a whole lot about the Bible, and he would come and interrupt me all the time, and it was always a divine interruption. Uh, but one day he knocked on my door and he came and said, "Joey, I got a aperture whispering." I'm like, "A what?" He says, "An aperture." I'm like, "I don't know what that is." And he was like, "You don't know what the aperture is?" I was like. No, I don't. He's like, I thought you were smart. I'm like, I'm sorry. I've never heard of the aperture. And he's like, I got it out in my van. And so he takes me out to his van, this big black van. Looks like uh, I'm going to get kidnapped. And he reaches inside and like smoke from all the cigarettes uh, uh, comes out. And he grabs this black book and he hands it to me and he says, it's the aperture. And I read it. And of course, it's the apocrypha. Uh, but for him, you know, the apocrypha was something uh, secret, and he was so excited that he had it. It was contraband. Uh, and I was in Princeton uh, presenting a paper, and I met with an old former high school friend named Roger Guster. And uh, Roger was like, man, you got a PhD in the Bible. I know you know all the secrets, right? They told you, let me know what secrets they told you in the PhD program. It's like, ah, it doesn't really work like that. And he was like, well, what about the apocrypha? Is it supposed to be in or it's supposed to be out? And so there are a lot of people that are fascinated with the Apocrypha, uh, but a lot of people don't really even know how to pronounce it or right. know what it is. Uh, a lot of people also get it confused with the New Testament Apocrypha, right. uh, works like the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Judas. Um, but uh, to, to generally speaking, when we talk about the Apocrypha, 
It's the works between Malachi and Matthew, um, give or take mm-hmm. a couple of decades. And uh, it's, it's Jewish works. Um, it's what often people refer to as the 400 years of silence. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't quite as silent as you think so. I mean, God was moving uh, through uh, these uh, different authors. And uh, to, to be fair, even among these authors, uh, we see that they didn't put uh, the Apocrypha, these works, on the same level hmm. as uh, what we would consider the other canonical books of the Old Testament, almost like a second tier. You know, with okay. coffee, you could have your single origin, Ethiopian roast. Um, so it's not quite up there, uh, <laughs> but it maybe Starbucks, a second tier. So it's not quite as good, but it's still better than Folgers. And so they had different <laughs> categories. And we even see this with the New Testament, Pharisees and Sadducees. You know, they, they debated on what actually should be the Old Testament. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't necessarily that the Sadducees absolutely repudiated um, the, uh, the the prophets, but they didn't hold it on the same level. And so even our very first New Testament um, canon, uh, in response to Marcion, we call it the Muratorian canon, it actually had levels. Like, these are the best. These are the most. Uh, get, get the single origin. Uh, and then have these, these are also good to read. Um, they may not be as inspired, but they're still inspiring. And then in that canon, they also said, you know, avoid these books, um, anything by Preston Spring, I mean, uh, you know, avoid, don't, don't read these. Uh, but, but also what's interesting is that in that first New Testament canon that we had before we got to uh, our own uh, centuries later, it actually included some of the works of the Apocrypha. Uh, but to answer maybe a short answer between, uh, to, to go back to your first question, the Apocrypha are Jewish works um, by faithful mm-hmm. Jews uh, between Malachi and Matthew. Okay. So it wasn't a bunch of, ca- the the... I, I think the Protestant assumption is that the Apocrypha is a Catholic work because it's adopted into the Catholic canon. But just to clarify, I mean, this is I mean, this is kind of so obvious for people that have studied it, so I don't want to um, you know, insult people's intelligence. But it's not the Apocrypha is not written by Catholics. The whole Catholic Church didn't exist when this when these books were being written. Um, real quick, just because you did bring it up, I'm sure there's some people that have questions about you know. Moratorian canon, uh, mm-hmm. first canon, like what does that even mean? Like, because now we're now we're jumping ahead a little bit. The first few hundred years after the New Testament, but maybe give us a, a just an elevator pitch description of canonization of of the New Testament or the Bible in the first few hundred years, because that it, it's a lot more messier than people understand it to be. Yeah, right. So the, the Jews were already having discussions on canon. So the council at Jamnia in 90 AD, they're trying to figure out what exactly is our canon. Mm-hmm. Um, we even see in the later New Testament, um, Paul referring to all scriptures being uh, theopneustos, God breathe. Um, is he including his own works? Is he including gospels at that point? Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter is going to talk about Paul and how he writes some stuff that are really hard to understand. And all of the Pauline scholars stood up and said, amen. Uh, but but he also connects it with Scripture as well. And so there already was uh, this idea that some of these works of the New Testament um, are Scripture. There's a debate uh, regarding whether it's the chicken or the egg, but there's this dude named Marcion that was like a proto-proto-gnostic who was very popular. And uh, he developed his own, really maybe the first canon, that uh, was very anti-Semitic. Um, he really liked some passage, and it was kind of cut and paste. And so one uh, construal is that uh, the early church fathers, the, the proto-proto-Orthodox uh, fathers got together and said, no, 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 uh, don't go with Marcion's uh, canon, go with our canon as well. Mm-hmm. And this kind of uh, continued that discussion of what is the canon. And um, often there are three and or four uh, ca- categories that led to our final canon that we have, 
uh, one, get to be testified by the eyewitnesses. So mm-hmm. um, there ain't, there's no school like the old school. And so how old is it? And so there were some of these works that uh, they, they were valuable. They, they were considered great, uh, like perhaps the Didache or the Shepherd of uh, Barnabas, um, or the Epistle of Barnabas or the Shepherd of Hermes that were considered really, really good. Uh, the, the other one was, uh, uh, does it uh, flow with the rest? Um, does it gel with what we do know for the, for these other works? And so is it associated with the eyewitnesses, the apostles? Um, and and does it, uh, it, does it, is it consistent with what we see with everything else? And a third one was uh, popularity. So uh, was it popular in the east side and the west side? Uh, was it popular among the, uh, and so almost the creme de la creme. And so these books that uh, kind of came to the top and really this, the discussion wasn't so much what is inspired, uh, but what is that which is going to be that which is going to guide us? So what is going to be the rule of orthodoxy for mm-hmm. the church? And so I, I, I think that there may be some works that they considered were inspired, but they weren't necessarily canon. Of course, all the works of the canon mm-hmm. were considered inspired. I know that may be somewhat controversial uh, there, but uh, yeah, so, so those were the works that came and uh, between there and uh, so that's early mm-hmm. second century there and the fourth century around 395 at the Council of Carthage. Uh, they finally put the final stamp of approval boom, 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 uh, mm-hmm. on uh, what we consider our New Testament today. But what's fascinating is that after that, uh, we have uh, two of our uh, oldest manuscripts, uh, uh, Sinaiticus and Alexandrinus mm-hmm. and then Vaticanus, uh, that even after that has happened, they still don't follow the exact list. Yeah. And so uh, they include the wisdom of Solomon, for example. And if I remember correctly, uh, they don't uh, include Hebrews. Hebrews had a hard time uh, getting into the canon. But yeah, so that may be a, a bird's eye view. Yeah. How we so, got our. So yeah, Bible. for the first few hundred years after the after the closing of the can, well, not even the closing, the first few hundred years of the early church, it, it was a bit messy. Um, it's not like they had this Bible, you know, cover to cover that they walked around with and went to synagogue or church with. Um, I mean, it was kind of the spectrum of writings. Some, I mean, there, there were some that were immediately deemed inspired scripture. I, I, right. If I remember correctly, 20 or 21 of the 27 New Testament books were n- not disputed at all. Right. Um, the four gospels, Acts, most of Paul's letters, mm-hmm. not all of them. That's right. um, yeah. And then First uh, Peter, First John, I think, were some of those. But um, so there was kind of a canon within the canon by which mm-hmm. people measured some of these other New Testament books, but also some other books like the Didache, Apocalypse of Peter, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Shepherd of Hermes was another one. Yeah. Yeah, very popular I, in the early church. I, I tell people, like, you were this close away from doing your devotions in the Shepherd of Hermes this morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Freaks people it's out. like the but. silver medalist in the Olympics. Like, so close. <laughs> but but all, so all of those, so that's kind of, I mean, all that's kind of background to what we're even talking about with the Apocrypha. Because the Apocrypha, mm-hmm. written a few hundred years before that, written by Jews, not Christians. So what are the books in the Apocrypha? I know there's different traditions, right? Um right. Right. The Eastern, the the more Roman tradition of what constitutes the Apocrypha. So, wh- what are these books? And if you can maybe give a snapshot description of each one, if you can. I know I'm putting you don't have yeah. any. I'm just so the <laughs> audience knows who's not watching this. If you're listening, Joey's got no notes in front of him, and there's been no preparation <laughs> for this. So, right. whatever he says is is part of his DNA, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, and encourage you to be Berean. So, if I say something that doesn't seem right, uh, please go back and uh, check yeah. check me. So. Uh, Maybe a good segue between those is that uh, the new, the Old Testament for many of our New Testament authors, if not all of them, uh, was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. 
And so now our Hebrew Old Testament canon follows the Masoretic text, um, the Hebrew uh, version, but uh, that ne- wasn't necessarily the Bible uh, that our New Testament mm-hmm. apostles were reading. And the Old Testament, uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament included these apocryphal works. And so I think Protestants have like 14. And uh, may- maybe as we talk about the canon as well in the early Christianity, uh, the Apocrypha was part of the canon up until Luther. And so, and wow. Luther's problem wasn't so much the Apocrypha, it was the Roman Catholics' uh, interpretation of the Apocrypha, um, right. especially works in Sirach, uh, Baruch, and uh, four Maccabees. And so uh, he kind of throws out the Apocrypha uh, because of the, the maybe some bad interpretations of the Apocrypha. However, um, even though he kicks it to the curb, he goes back and he brings it back in the house and puts it in the garage. Uh, and so he still includes the Apocrypha in his Bible, but he just puts it at the end. And Luther so does. Even Luther does. Wow. Yeah. So as hostile as Luther can be, I mean, Luther has two speeds, uh, full love or full hate. Uh, but uh, the Apocrypha is going to be an, an exception <laughs> to the rule. And so, you know, uh, he, he hates the book of James uh, and uh, the Apocrypha he, he includes. And so it's quite uh, interesting. And uh, so e- even in the Lutheran tradition, the Apocrypha is part of its Bible. It's just kind of uh, put on that second tier well, there with quick. Starbucks. I, I heard that up until the mid 1800s, every Protestant translation included the Apocrypha at the end. It's re- it's really yeah, a very yeah. very new recent thing, even within Protestantism, where we don't even have the right. Apocrypha anywhere in the Bible. That's yeah, that's ex- either exciting or disturbing, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> yeah, well, we have we have so few Christians that actually read um, the Bible that we have, so we we, <laughs> so we, you know, we need to make sure that we we can't be adding more books to read. <laughs> But so, so yeah, uh, but for those who are reading, uh, and we'll talk about this in a moment, uh, to help us understand both uh, the the New Testament and early Christianity, uh, reading the Apocrypha is very valuable to see the lenses Mm -hmm. through which they read the Old Testament. And so just like we as Protestants have a hard time reading the Bible uh, without the Reformation lenses, without Luther and Calvin just whispering in our ear, uh, the New Testament apostles, as they're reading back in the Old Testament, they have those 400 years of these Mm -hmm. works that... Uh, yeah. is going to uh, influence how they're reading the Old Testament. All right, so give us a quick overview of each book of the Apocrypha. Which one is it? What's it sure. called? What's the content? Yeah, yeah. Like? So yeah. usually with the Protestants, we have uh, 14, but uh, I, don't, I don't know if we have time. I, I'm not very good at summarizing. Uh, so I'll pick out some of my favorites yeah, yeah. Uh, there. Okay. Uh, and and we'll, we'll start out with some of those that uh, have just extra. And so like okay. in our Masoretic text, uh, there's stories, sorry, the Hebrew Bible, there's stories about Daniel that aren't there that are in the Greek Old Testament. And so, okay. for example, there's a story about uh, this woman named Susanna. Susanna is this beautiful woman, and there's these two dirty old men, uh, elders, who see her. They find out that both of them are infatuated uh, with her, and so they devise a plan. Uh, they are going to uh, wait till she's all alone, and then they're going to accost her and tell her that she has to do a menage a trois uh, mm-hmm. with both of them, or... Uh, they are going to uh, accuse her of uh, committing, uh, se- ha- having sexual uh, immorality with a young man. And so she's at this debate. Do I uh, capitulate to these two dirty old men or do I let them accuse me of this? And knowing that according to law, if she's found in sin, that she'll be stoned. And of course, uh, Susanna, being the virtuous woman that she is, uh, says, I'm sorry, I, I will not uh, get with you guys. And so they scorned. Uh, decide, okay, we're telling everyone. And there's two witnesses that they have. If you remember Old Testament law, you have to have two or three witnesses. And so they tell everyone, hey, 
uh, we came in and we saw her uh, capitulating, Netflixing and chilling with this young man uh, underneath a tree. And uh, so she needs to be stoned. And of course, everyone says, all right, uh, two witnesses, these are elders. They grab their stones. They come around getting ready to, to put her to death. And all of a sudden, here Daniel comes. Here I come to save the day. And, and Daniel uh, comes in and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, wait, before you cast the first stone, uh, let, let's, let's question these elders more. And uh, so Daniel gets them individually and says, so you said you walked in and she was uh, hooking up with a young man. Uh, where's the young man, first of all? And secondly, yeah. which tree was it? Was it the oak tree or was it the pine tree? And the first old man said, well, well, you know, we, we can, we tried to catch him, but he got away and it was under the oak tree. They were hooking up under the oak tree. And so Daniel said, the oak tree. It's like, yeah, yeah, definitely the oak tree. And so then they get the other guy to come in and says, hey, well, I got a question for you. Where were they hooking up? Was it the oak tree or was it the pine tree? And the guy's like, definitely the pine tree. Huh. And so at this point, uh, they've been exposed as liars and uh, Daniel saves the day. The woman is, uh, she, she is uh, reinstated and they stone the elders instead. And so, man, it's a great book. And, you know, in light of all of the Me Too movement and the sexual abuse that we've had in the evangelical church, I, that's, I, I put my vote in that we uh, raise the canonical status of Susanna um, at this point. Wait, uh, wait when you say that, would you say it is actually part of the breathed out scripture, the Second Timothy 3.16? Wow, or would you not go that far? Or would you just say, I'm, I'm not sure? Or I would say I'm not sure. Huh. Uh, because uh, we're not quite sure what Paul is meaning when he says uh, all scripture. Does scripture, is he referring to the Old Testament canon, the Greek Old Testament canon, or is he referring to the Masoretic canon? Um, right. And did he even know that there was a difference? I mean, in his Bible, that Susanna was extra. Oh, um, wow. And so that, that, that's one example. And of course, that also helps us understand uh, the background of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. Uh, as you remember, according to law, it's not supposed to be just the woman brought together uh, before before uh, the, the trial, but it's supposed to be the man and the woman. Uh. And in both Susanna's account and in John, uh, there's no man. So where is this woman? And uh, whereas uh, Jesus, whereas Daniel saves and rescues this woman from being stoned, Jesus uh, stands up. So he's kind of like a new Daniel uh, in uh. this story. So theologically and ethically, it lines up. I mean, there's no like, there's, as far as the content goes, there's no reason why this shouldn't be in. The, maybe the question would be, well, how do we know the story even happened? Or, but it's like, but that's, yeah, I don't know. You have like extended, even, even if it was, was a parable, we have, I mean, I take Job as more of a parable with a historical kernel. But Jesus told parables all over the place. And, and that doesn't mean, like something did not need to happen in its his, historical, literal in its literal his historicity for it to be true and good. And, you know, so even the question of did this story actually happen the way it said is almost like maybe, maybe not, but that doesn't determine whether it should be in the canon or not. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. So if you like Daniel, well, oh, by the way, um, if we make that connection back with John's gospel, the woman caught in adultery, if you remember that passage is not in our right. original Greek text. Uh, and so, some might even say that that's apocryphal. Right. Um, and even when it does occur in some of our Greek texts huh. later on, it's different places in John. And so uh, both of these are uh, deutero in a sense, um, but uh, show uh, really uh, early Christianity, these uh, Christian uh, godly leaders uh -huh. standing up for these women who were oppressed, um, yeah. where everyone took men's word for it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think um, it makes me love Jesus and Daniel more. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. So that what, what's that? Is that called uh, the additions of Daniel or or? Oh yeah, there's sure. Yeah. So you have Susanna, and then you have uh, other editions of Daniel called Veiled and Dragon. Right. So very also really cool stories. We need uh we need if if you have any filmmakers uh, in your audience, uh, we, we need these stories uh, put on film. Uh, and so. Uh, Bell and the dragon, uh, the king comes to Daniel's like, yo, Daniel, why don't you worship our God? Our God is a real God. He's an awesome God. And Daniel's like, man, your God is fake. And the king's like, no, 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 no. Every night I go and I put this feast in front of his idol. Uh, and when I come back the next day, the food is gone. And Daniel's like, I tell you what, um, well, let's go in there and let's lock the doors. And you put the food there. We'll lock the doors. We come back tomorrow and the food is gone. Then I will worship your God. I will abandon the God of Israel and I'll worship your God. And the king's like, bet, we got it. And so they go in, they put the feast down, the king's getting ready to lock the door, and uh, Daniel's can't be found. They're like, where, where did Daniel go? Uh, and then finally, they find Daniel, they leave. The next day, they come, and the food is gone. The king's like, yeah, I told you, get you some of that, let's go. And uh, Daniel's like, hmm, that's interesting. And the king's like, well, the door was locked. And Daniel said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what, uh, while you were locking the door and putting the food out, I got some of this white powder, flour, and I put it all around the floor. And look, and all of a sudden they look down and there's all these footprints and the footprints go to a trap door. They open the trap door and it leads to the home of the uh, false prophets and priests. And at this point, they realize that the priest and their wives and children were eating the food every night. And so at this point, the king converts uh, and begins to worship the God of Israel. Similar type story. There's this dragon, um, maybe like a large alligator crocodile. We're not quite sure. And they're like, Daniel, how could you not worship that thing? Look at it. It's a beast. And Daniel's like, well, I'll tell you what. And so Daniel makes like this little bomb, this tar bomb, and he feeds it to this dragon. And all of a sudden the dragon like blows up. And Daniel's like, that's your God? Yeah, I'll take your God out. And so you have that type of stories. And you also have uh, the prayer of the three brothers when they're in the fire. Um, and right. so it gives those. And so, yeah, so sometimes uh, these apocryphal works are just additions. Uh, mm -hmm. So if you like Esther, uh, there, there's more books in Esther in the Greek uh, version as well. That gives you more detail. Right. Well, even even going back to our, you know, the, your John 8 example, we have these things in our established Protestant canon. Um, I hate to say it, but the book of Jeremiah is a kind of a train wreck when it comes to the canon and which one to follow. Because in the Hebrew version, which all of our English translations go the follow the Hebrew version. And yet first century Christians, as you said, typically follow the Greek version. Well, the Greek version, I think, is 20%. Is it shorter or longer? The book of Jeremiah, it's in different order. Like the Greek version of Jeremiah, Hebrew version is, I'm not going to say two completely different books at all, but there's some serious differences between the two in addition. So even within our Protestant, because so some people, you know, if you're like an Enneagram uh, 8 or a 1, you might be like, you know, no, 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 I, I need, like, I'm, 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 I need more security in my canon, it just doesn't, you could close the door on Apocrypha and all this stuff. And that's, I, I get that. But even within our established canon, there, there's some messiness there, but um, yeah. What are some other, so uh, Maccabees, so those are kind of be the ones that even Protestants who hardly know what the Apocrypha is, they probably heard of the book of Maccabees. What are those all about? Yeah. So we have four Maccabee books. Um, and if you like Joshua, I think yeah. you'll like Maccabees. Uh, so yeah. um, it gives, it, it, honestly, if you like Acts, I think you'll like uh, uh, the Maccabee books yeah. because it kind of gives us this idea of ancient historiography, this genre. Uh, and ancient historiography, uh, the, the genre, like if we were going to the Scrolls of Million or a Barnabas and Nobles in the first century uh, when the New Testament was being written. Uh, one of the <laughs> big placards would say ancient historiography. And uh, we would see that these works um, 
often start out with either one single event, uh, and we see the ramifications of that, or it would be how a group of people uh, came to be the people that they are, um, or it would be looking at how God works in history. So it's not, you know, that cheesy can't be, uh, it's not history, it's his story. Uh, but Maccabees is like that. I mean, it's not just uh, this humanistic, um, uh, viva the revolution of the Jews, but it's how God is working these mm-hmm. miracles there. And so, uh, for example, one of my favorite stories is um, there's this dude named Apollyanus who is coming to take out the temple. He's coming to persecute uh, the Jews because they're not obeying the law. He's going to go to the temple. He's going to get all the 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 the, the, the uh, valuables out of it. And on his way, all of a sudden, there's a bright light um, that strikes him down. And there's these two angels with uh, fiery swords, and they strike him down, and they're about to kill him. And uh, at this point, uh, there's Anius, the high priest, who, uh, even though this guy is persecuting, he prays uh, and uh, intervenes because the guy who's been struck down blind uh, prays and, and repents. And so Anius prays for this guy, and he prays that God would restore him so that uh, the, the proclamation, the good news of Israel's God, would be proclaimed throughout all of the kingdoms. And so mm-hmm. it's very similar wow. to my boy Paul when God knocked him off his donkey. Uh, and, uh, you know, and the same thing we have Ananias who is praying for him uh, so that uh, the, the gospel of God's going to use uh, Paul as his chosen instrument. Yeah. And so uh, you have that then intervention. Um, maybe another connection is uh, one of the, the, the bad guy, the, the Joker or Hamilton's king, uh, you know, in, in this story is Antiochus Epiphanes. And uh, you have the story of the abomination of desolation that Jesus refers to. And uh, they go into the Holy of Holies. Um, they have orgies. Um, they get a pig because a pig's a dirty animal. They slaughter it uh, on the altar. Um, they put a, a an idol of Zeus uh, there. And uh, this is what leads to that Maccabean revolt. Uh, we also see the great persecution of the Jewish people during this time that wouldn't um, uh, that you know, ra- the, the the Greeks wanted them to read Plato rather than the Torah. Uh, they wanted them to undo their circumcision, uh, and they wanted them to eat uh, bacon. And uh, the 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 faithful, the the pious Jews refused to do that. And their stories, and and you know this, you've taught this uh, in your own classes, Preston. But uh, the, the, there's times where the Greeks would come in and they would slaughter uh, the Jewish armies on the Sabbath because they couldn't fight. Mm-hmm. They get uh, the women who had circumcised their kids. And uh, their babies, and they hang the women up uh, with their babies uh, hanging at their, uh, uh, being hung from their neck. Um, it, it's very a handmaid's tale. Um, and then uh, you, you have one of the most popular stories that I think the author of Hebrews draws upon, and maybe Revelation, is the story of Eleazar, mm-hmm. the seven brothers, and their mother. And uh, so we're going to see this in First Maccabees, but uh, we see it more explicitly in Four Maccabees. And I can mm-hmm. talk about that more. If you're interested, if you want to transition to four Maccabees, unless you want yeah. to talk about how do you the rest re- of the how stories. do you reverse a circumcision? That sounds painful and it does impossible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not sure where they get the skin from to put uh, over that, uh, but it, of course, you know the, uh, the Greeks they wrestled naked, they they ran naked, they went to the baths, yeah. and so uh, there were a group of uh, Greeks uh, of Jews who wanted to be Greek, uh, and so they wanted to assimilate. And right. then you had those like the Maccabeans and Judas Maccabeans. The fact that we don't have a great Maccabean movie, uh, just, I, I mean, know. come on, Hollywood. We like all these, like, How? Do, do I really need another version of X? Give, give me the Maccabeans because the, the hammer, you just call it the hammer. And gosh, it would it'd be so exciting. I mean, you, you know, you'd be like, it'd be like the Jewish version of Braveheart. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. They so can what? take my life, but they never <laughs> take my <laughs> I mean, honestly, if there's any two books in the Apocrypha to read, First and Second Maccabees in particular, it just it's 
hard to put down and it, it, it um, like well, you, you said, it's like Joshua. It so resonates with how the Old Testament history books are written. I mean, it just, it feels very similar. It, I mean, first Maccabees, I think, isn't very miraculous at all. And second Maccabees does have a lot more miracles. Isn't that kind of one of the distinctions? One, one of my favorite stories in second Maccabees, I'm going back way back, so I hope I don't, I think it's toward the end of second Maccabees where the Jews are kind of locked up in a tower and all the Romans, these Gentiles are kind of surrounding the tower and like all the Jews go to the top. They're starting to light fire to it. They're going to burn the thing down. Like we don't want to be killed by these Gentiles because that was a huge thing of dishonor, right? To have a Gentile actually kill you. So one of the dudes, this old dude, throws himself down. Like he's going to say, I'm going to kill myself and I'm going to take out a few Romans in the process. Well, he smacks the ground. Like all the people kind of back away and he smacks the ground, but he doesn't die. (laughs) I'm not dead yet. And he gets up and he's like, guts are pouring out. He's pulling out his guts, throwing them at the Romans (laughs) (laughs) saying, praying, God, give these back to me in the resurrection. So it's just like Mm. gruesome resurrection story. (laughs) But it's like this old dude throwing his guts at, I shouldn't be laughing, but it's like, wow. Um, But yeah, I mean, these are books that are not, these are not, hard books to read. They're very hard to put down. Um, and they, as far as I know, when we talk about like intertestamental Jewish history or early Jewish history, second temple Judaism, we're relying, we're relying almost exclusively on first and second Maccabees for a good chunk of that history. Right. Cause even Josephus, who's our other source he's relying on maccabees right like he just kind of summarizes is that true like if we didn't have first and second maccabees we wouldn't know about probably about 100 years of history of of what went on from about 200 to 180 or bc are there any other sources that kind of fill that in possibly probably yeah i can't i can't give an answer with surety on that Um, but that's those those are the main sources that i know so and then you have three and four maccabees Maccabees mm-hmm. that are more philo- are they more philosophical works or yeah tell us about um, four Maccabees is totally that um, maybe one other point uh, when we get to the New Testament we we have these Pharisees and Sadducees where in the world do these guys come from right. and the Maccabees help us understand uh, them and the relationship with the temple and also some of the hostility towards them uh, mm-hmm. because uh, there were hundreds of uh, Pharisees that were crucified uh, if you remember that story yeah. in the Maccabees and so. Yeah, it also helps us understand them. And also, when we get to the New Testament, there's these Romans in town. And if we're just going with the uh, Old Testament, the Hebrew version of the Old Testament, then we end with, what, the Persians, you right. know? Um, and so, but, but between the Persians and the Romans, you have the, uh, the, the uh, Greeks and the Medes. Uh, but yeah, so it helps us know how the Romans came to, char- uh, got, got in power mm. um, over, uh, the, uh, over Palestine. Yeah. Yeah, I, so for, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. So four Maccabees is going to be the most philosophical of them and also the goriest. And so when I have my students uh, read four Maccabees, I have to give like a trigger warning because uh, it is just so gory. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, so when you talk about them pulling out his flesh and throwing it, uh, that what, what you see in glimpses of that in first and second Maccabees, uh, it, it's almost uh, the entire extent of four Maccabees. Uh, just the gore as we see these people being tortured. But uh, Fort Maccabees is going to be, in a sense, um, a third way, where you had some that said, yeah, let's all become Greeks. Uh, uh, others would come and say, no, let's uh, kill the Greeks. Uh, uh, let, let's uh, be set apart uh, from them. Uh, Fort Maccabees is going to have a third way, and it's going to focus on, you know, let's out-Greek the Greeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Greeks have philosophy, but we don't need their philosophy because we have the law. 
And those who abor- uh, obey the law are greater than the greatest philosophers. So uh, the law abider's wisdom is greater than uh, any, the, the law abider's foolishness is greater than uh, the wisdom mm. of the Greeks. And so he's going to really cohere with what Peter says. God is giving us, given us all that we need for life and for godliness. Mm. And for the author for Bacchus, that's the law. Mm. Um, and so uh, similar to what we see in Galatians, where Paul says, uh, walk by the power of the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of your sinful nature. The author for Maccabees is going to say, hey, walk by the power of the law, um, and you will not fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. And it's interesting, for Maccabees was likely written in Antioch. Huh. And uh, if you remember, Peter and Paul go to, not maybe rhetorical fisticuffs, um, over the issue of eating food. And so, uh, but yeah, so with the four Maccabees, uh, he starts off with this old man named Eleazar, who refused to eat pork. Um, no bacon for me. And uh, the king's like, but bacon tastes good. Pork chop tastes good. Uh, and, uh, and so the king, uh, Eleazar says, no, I will not, uh, because uh, even if I, uh, t- if I take a bite right here, uh, it's like breaking the entire law. So fa- failing in the law in one aspect oh, is wow. breaking the entire law. Sounds a lot like James, right? Yeah. And uh, so they begin to torture him. And again, I, even though we're in theology of the law, I'm embarrassed to even uh, give the pictures of what's happening to him, like the four okay. Maccabee uh, authors, author does. Uh, and at the, actually the torturers, who the, these guys were born and raised as torturers, uh, they have pity on this old man. Like, hey, you don't have to eat it. Just put it to your lips and pretend that you're eating it, and we'll tell him that you did it. And he's like, oh, uh, heck to the no, no, to the no, no, no. I will not do that. And so uh, he dies, uh, And uh, but in giving up his uh, death, uh, his death is considered a hilasmos or hilasterion. Uh, oh. So his uh, – yeah, so – uh, for your audience not uh, familiar with Greek, these are the words that we see in Romans chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 2, uh, referring to the life of Jesus um, as a atoning sacrifice mm-hmm. or mercy seed or propitiation for the nation, for the people. And so Eleazar saw his torment torment as uh, bringing atonement for Israel. And so before this time, you're the Leviticus guy, so you can correct me, but before this time, Hilasmos and Hilasterion was always referred to the blood of animals. Uh, but yeah. this is the the first time that we have it referring to people. So that open. So people say, "Well, wait, wait. How, how am I supposed to make sense of this?" Um, and I think the best way to do it is just say that a lot of these theological categories in the New Testament were already brewing and being kind of opened up between the Testament, so that when the New Testament gives a theological point, it's not like that was made in a vacuum. It's not that right. they're copying or whatever. It's not that's that's besides the point. It's that when we have the blood of a human or Jesus or God, or whatever, yeah. um, correlating with Old Testament sacrifices, we already have these bridges being laid down with some of these exactly. stories. There's a story also in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And just to clarify, Dead Sea Scrolls are not part of the Apocrypha. It's mm. a whole different set of literature. But um, I think it's 1QS, the community rule, where well, it's been so long. Maybe it's not that, but um, where they, they talk about when the Messiah comes, his followers will sit down and have a meal together and they'll eat bread mm. and drink wine and and mm. the Messiah will bless it. This is like 150 years before the Last Supper, right? Um, and people, you know, so, some people are troubled by that. Like they want uniqueness in the New Testament. They don't want anything outside the New Testament to kind of correlate it. For me, it's the opposite. It's like, no, this makes sense that people were anticipating the Christ, the Messiah, to break bread and drink wine with his disciples. And like when that happened, there was something in the air, right? That people knew kind of the significance of this kind of event. So um, this, this happens a lot, right? In the Apocrypha and other Jewish literature, you see these categories yeah. being opened up and explored 
that help us to make more sense of the New Testament. Um, your, your, your book, uh, The Wisdom of Solomon. Uh, <laughs> so Joey did his PhD comparing Romans with this apocryphal book, The Wisdom of Solomon. So I know you have a special place. Uh, this book has a special place in your heart. You you do your devotions in it and so on. But <laughs> tell us about that book. That, that's actually a really significant apocryphal book, a book in the Apocrypha that really helps us understand a lot of things about the New Testament. Good. Yeah. Last time we said that about Seneca. So I, I, I don't know when I have time to read my Bible. I'm reading Seneca and Wisdom Solomon all the time. Yeah. Uh, and maybe we'll come back to some of those categories that Fort Maccabees open yeah. up as well. Yeah. But that, yeah. yeah. Wisdom of Solomon is uh, one of my first loves. Uh, as you remember, my expertise is the interpenetration of Judaism, Greco-Roman philosophy, and early Christianity, and have a, uh, a dialogue partner in each one of those. And so uh, it's Seneca, as, as we've just referred to, and uh, the Greco-Roman philosophy, it's Paul in the New Testament, and it's really the wisdom of Solomon is where I spent most of my time uh, for that, the, it, the early Judaism, Second Temple Judaism. Uh, but one of the great categories that we have uh, in the wisdom of Solomon is Lady Wisdom, uh, which is also referred to as the Lagos, uh, through, through which God created the entire world. Huh. Um, and uh, the Lagos uh, comes down and stands uh, on the earth. And, uh, and what's interesting in wisdom of Solomon is you basically have uh, the first type of a trinity. You have hmm. uh, masculine, feminine, and neuter uh, referring to God's virtue. So masculine is going to be the Lagos. And uh, Lagos sustains himself. Wisdom sustains herself in the wisdom of Solomon, which is very interesting to have. Abstains um, her? What do you, wait, what do you mean? Sustains. Oh, sustains. Uh, sustains oh, her, oh. Yeah. So, the, the, you know, we see in Hebrews and we see in Colossians that uh, the, the, the word uh, Christ sustains all things. But here you have Lady Wisdom who is self-sustained, which uh, already is a, a, a discussion of divinity. Uh, and we see even Philo, who is struggling with this. Philo is not in the Apocrypha, but he's writing around the same time. And he says, whoever this Lagos is, this word, it's greater than the angels, but it's not exactly God. And we see the same type of wrestling in uh, the Wisdom of Solomon. The Wisdom of Solomon is going to make the Lagos and the Holy Spirit, which he's going to use the phrase Holy Spirit as well, uh, and Lady Wisdom are all kind of the same. Lagos is masculine for your audience who maybe not be uh, doesn't know Greek. Uh, wisdom, Lady Wisdom is feminine. And uh, spirit is neuter. And uh, uh -huh. so we see how God is working through these um, ideas. The Wisdom of Solomon is also called the Book of Wisdom, but um, it's written for the people to pursue righteousness that comes uh, from above. Um, there's a story at the very beginning of, uh, uh, of Wisdom of Solomon where uh, death kind of sneaks in the back door uh, mm -hmm. and uh, separates the righteous from the unrighteous. And the unrighteous find this one guy who's claiming to be a son of God. And they say, hey, let's test him. Uh, let's let's see if he matches his words. And so they grab him and they give him, uh, put him forth in a shameful death. And uh, but um, he he doesn't uh, he doesn't respond uh, negatively to them. But instead, uh, in his death, his shameful death, it's proven that God is his father, hmm. uh, that he truly was a son of God. And later on, he reappears to them, and they're like, "Oh snap! Um, if we'd have known that he was uh, the son of God, then we would not have have." Uh, uh, put him to a shameful death. And so uh, you can imagine the early church uh, drawing upon this Jewish work to say, hey, this is a prophecy of Jesus Christ um, and uh, his second coming. But yeah, so the wisdom of Solomon is going to use, uh, it's going to draw specifically on like what we see in Proverbs 8 of this lady wisdom who is there and how God uh, used wisdom to create the world. And so uh, whereas for Maccabees is going to say the law, 
uh, that, that's what we want to focus on. The Wisdom of Solomon, similarly, is going to be kind of in the same huddle, but the focus is not going to be uh, on the law. I mean, basically, the uh, author of the Wisdom of Solomon doesn't really talk about the law at all, but instead, this divine spirit, the divine Lagos, uh, Lady Wisdom, which is going to separate uh, the faithful Jews, the godly, mm. from the ungodly Gentiles. And it's... It, it, it's there's a lot of similar themes in particular with the book of Romans, which is, you know, the topic of your dissertation. Um, do you think that Paul was, had the was this book, this a book in the Apocrypha in mind when he wrote the book of Romans? Like what's the interaction there between these two books? Yeah. So going back to the uh, 18th century, uh, the new Testament scholars believe that when Paul's writing Romans, that the wisdom of Solomon or the book of wisdom is somewhere on the desk. Okay. Now, scholars debate whether it's is it in the middle of the desk when Paul is writing this, or is it on the margins? Uh, some even believe, if you're if, uh, for those of you who are familiar with Romans, uh, Paul has this diatribe, this uh, imaginary opponent in Romans, and you know, he's like, "What about you, O man?" Uh, and so there are a number of Roman scholars who believe that the "you, O man" that Paul is responding to is the author of the Wisdom of Solomon, or someone who's very similar to the Wisdom of Solomon. Uh, the Wisdom of Solomon was very ethnocentric. Uh, and uh, mm. Paul's kind of, and so those boundaries that are going to separate the walls of racism that separate the Jews from the Gentiles, uh, the, the author of wisdom is going to be one who's going to build those up. And so some believe that even that that is the case, especially uh, Romans 1 and 2 uh, mm-hmm. in comparison with Wisdom chapter 13. And so Jonathan Lindball at Cambridge, Francis Watson at Durham are two who have written uh, mm. very extensively on this. And, and even uh, Doug Campbell uh, in his book, he's going to see that. But going back to the old ICC commentary, uh, Sandy and Hedlum, they're going to be the ones who kind of expand that. But again, uh, yeah, so most people think that Romans is at least on the table, when Paul, uh, that Wisdom of Solomon is at least on the table, mm-hmm. but it's debated on how central it is. I, I was thinking writing. almost, yeah, Romans 1 and 2, but also 9 to 11. It, it's mm-hmm. from the little I know about Wisdom of Solomon. It's like, man, this seems, this, you can almost imagine a scenario where Paul is trying to correct what he sees as an, a, a wrong-headed ethnocentric, ethnocentric view of Israel and God's plan. Mm-hmm. Basically, like if you're born an Israelite, you're in God's favor, right? Um, where he seems to kind of wean people off of that. Um, is that way? I don't want to misrepresent wisdom. Is, would that be? No, no, totally. Yeah. John Barclay has two essays, articles comparing Romans 9 through 11 uh, with the wisdom of Solomon. Oh, okay. That both yeah. are just absolutely fantastic. I might have read them. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I probably Long reviewed time ago. We're old man. Jo- Joey and I have a running joke. Well, he mocks me <laughs> over for it that I that I review I review books and I don't read the whole thing before I review it. <laughs> He's like, "Hey, did you read this book?" I'm like, "No, but I reviewed it." <laughs> I shouldn't say that out loud. Yeah, uh, I'll deal with that. But, um, Some people are like, "Wait, he reviewed my book." <laughs> Uh, all right. What, so we have, um, let's go back. So we have first, second, third, fourth Maccabees. Uh, we've got wisdom of Solomon. We have additions to Daniel, which includes Susanna, Bell and the dragon. And then additions of D- Daniel, the prayer of Azariah. Is that part of the additions to Daniel? Is that the That's one right. you mentioned? Okay. Yep. Azariah and the fire. Um, you also have an extra Psalm, right? Psalm 151. Is that? That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, additions to Esther. What else? What am I missing? Oh, Ben, ben uh, Sarah or Ecclesiasticus. Yeah. While we're on additions, we also can look at the additions to Jeremiah. Uh, oh, by right. the way, I had lunch with a, a former Muslim yesterday, and uh, she got saved, uh, became a Christian from reading Jeremiah. What? 
Yeah, she's like, I met Jesus through Jeremiah. Wow. So I've never heard that before, but it's absolutely amazing. But it's beyond uh, what, what we're trying, talking about here, but just how God can use uh, Jeremiah. And so Jeremiah, uh, often in evangelical circles, we kind of raise Isaiah up, um, and yeah. he's amazing, kind of almost like a fifth gospel. But Jeremiah was just as popular um, as, Isaiah, as Isaiah in the early church, and uh, we see this in the extensions. And so almost like, hey, Jeremiah's not enough. We want more. And so we have uh, Baruch, who is Jeremiah's uh, scribe. Oh, right. um, and so we have the book of Baruch. Um, that's that another is there apocryphal as well. book, and, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And if I remember correctly, Baruch is a guy who's like, Adam, Adam, Adam. All you guys are blaming Adam for your sin, but each of you have become your own Adam, mm. uh, which sounds very Romans 5, 12-ish. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, so we have uh, Baruch uh, that is uh, extending Jeremiah. Uh, we also have the letter of Jeremiah uh, that is just, uh, man, it's just smack talking on the idol worshipers. And it's quite funny. It has uh, this one line that uh, worshiping an idol is like a eunuch holding a young maiden. You know, <laughs> there's nothing happening right there. And uh, so, yeah, it's basically just this big smack talk uh, to the idol worshipers uh, that we have. But yeah, so Baruch, so if you like Jeremiah, check out Baruch. And mm-hmm. if you like smack talking, uh, prophet yeah. smack talking, similar to like Elijah on Mount Carmel, check yeah. out the letter of Jeremiah. And Ben Sirah or Sirach mm-hmm. or Ecclesiastes, mm-hmm. these are all the, there's three, like three different names for one book. Ben Sirach, right. yeah. Sirach, and Ecclesiasticus. Um, mm-hmm. That's, is that, 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 that's more like almost like a extent, like the Proverbs kind of, like a lot of proverbial kind of things very, strung very together. Much. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk about how different categories are opened up between uh, Malachi and Matthew, but there's also different genres that are opened up mm-hmm. as well. And so we see Lady Wisdom is uh, more personified, more. Um, extended in the wisdom of Solomon uh, and in Ben Sirah, what we see in Proverbs, it's extended. And so mm-hmm. Ben Sirah or Sirach is going to be somewhere between Proverbs and James. So really, I would say it's actually more like James wow. than it is like uh, Proverbs. And so, huh. uh, and, and also in uh, Sirach and Baruch, we have like the great hall of faith, like what we see in Hebrews 11. Right. Uh, we're going to see uh, the hall of obedience or um, the, yeah, the, the hall of the great uh, uh, men and women of Israel. And so that type of genre hmm. that we see in Hebrews chapter 11 that we love so much, uh, we also can see in the Apocrypha. I just remember in Ben, ben Sirach, some pretty misogynistic kind of statements. Um, but that's uh, not foreign to the Old Testament as a whole. So it's not like, you can, I, I don't think you could say, therefore, it shouldn't be in the canon because it's like, well, we got loads of questions about statements on women and, and I mean, the Old Testament and to some extent the new too. I, I, yeah, I think we can overcome those, but is that right? I, I remember hearing some, reading yeah, it does. some yeah. parts where I'm There's like, some, whoa, dude, like that's pretty. This is so good. And other stuff where like, ooh, cringing. Yeah. I want to say that uh, often when he's referring to women, it's almost like how John refers to the Jews. Uh, we know he's not against all the Jews, uh, but these specific type of Jews that are obstinate and resistant and persecuting. I think when sometimes when uh, Sirach refers to women, it's not, all women, but this certain type of uh, promiscuous women okay. that are doing that. But but that made me just me trying to ameliorate uh, yeah. Sirach uh, on my own. Uh, for your friends, for your fans uh, that have that watch Pollyanna, uh, if you've ever seen Pollyanna, uh, after Pollyanna uh, undress, uh, after she uh, converts the the, the priest uh, of the church, uh, if you remember, uh, he gets up and rather than his hellfire brimstone sermon. He gives up and has a happy sermon. Yeah. Uh, he quotes Ecclesiasticus. He quotes huh. quotes Sirach. So there's an example of the Apocrypha uh, okay. coming in to, to Disney. Uh, yeah. So what's okay? Let's let's uh, 
let's round third base now. Um, okay. I I have two questions. I'm trying to think of the order. I guess let me just start with the first one that came to mind. Like, if Christians are like, man, I want to know more about this. Maybe I should read through it. Would you recommend just getting an apocrypha and reading through it? Are there certain books you would prioritize over others, or how should people gain? Protestant Christians gain a better understanding of the Apocrypha. Yeah, uh, to use uh, the words of Augustine, take it and read it, take it and read it. <laughs> and you can get a free Apocrypha. Uh, the very first one I had, uh, I just got a Catholic Bible huh. and uh, from a charity shop in Aberdeen. And it just reeked of smoke. Whoever owned it before, uh, just they must have smoked like a, a chimney. So they're talking <laughs> about open up the Wisdom of Solomon. Like, <laughs> um, but uh, it's a free one. You can see it online. Um, even your Bible apps are probably going to include the, the, right. um, uh, the Apocrypha. Lexum uh, has an, a translation that's pretty good. Okay. The NRSV has a translation. And like I said earlier, the Lutheran Bible is also going to have a translation. Right. It's going to be very King James-ish. Um, and so we have King James. Uh, it's KJVA that's going to have the Apocrypha. But as far as which ones to read first, uh, you can read them in order. Or like like I said, if there's a specific type of genre that you like. Uh, so there's Tobit that we didn't mention. Oh, earlier, right. Tobit, too. That's a great story. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and that introduces us to some of the angels, uh, that we, the names right. of angels that oh, we yeah. have when we get uh, to the New Testament. Uh, but yeah, so if you, if you like kind of a romance, uh, Tobit with angels and demons, uh, Tobit's a good one uh, for you. If you Vampire like romance. Philosophy. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, if you like Colossians, um, or, or maybe like Glaive some of Paul's letters, and like Wisdom of Solomon before Maccabees may be a good one. If you like history, check out uh, the first okay. uh, three Maccabees. Um, I, I would almost say that whoever wrote the author, whoever the author for Maccabees is, that um, that's who the Judaizers are in Galatians. And so they would like point to four Maccabees. And ah, so if you, yeah. with Paul, we only have like one side of the phone conversation for the most part. Um, and then even when he... Uh, imitates them how, how faithful is that and so if you want the other side of the coin uh for what's happening in galatia uh probably read four maccabees and it helps us understand uh why even one through four maccabees helps us understand why uh the jews had such a hard time uh moving away from the law and the food uh, laws and the the uh and the sabbath and so it may help us understand that struggle why even when the Jerusalem church realizes that, hey, Cornelius has the Holy Spirit uh, and God can save the Gentiles. Wow, what amazing. Uh, they still want them to abstain from certain type of meats. Um, and it helps us understand kind of Romans 14 and 15 and what's going on in the church. So, so that, I yeah. guess that's kind of my next question is like, what's the payoff? Like why read the, the Apocrypha if you're like, no, I just want to understand the Bible. It's like, well, yeah, these that's why we're saying it's, it's good to study and read it. Whatever you think about it, it's canonization. It's, it's canonical place. If you think, no, it's completely not inspired by God. It's just inspiring literature. Well, it's still inspiring literature, but also helps us understand the new Testament. That would be a good, that that's, that's one of many reasons why it's helpful. Like if you just say, you just came at the Apocrypha with just the old Testament in mind and read it through the lens of these are faithful God-fearing Jews upholding Old Testament ethics in the face of persecution and hostility. So you're when you read the Apocrypha, you're on their side. Mm-hmm. Only then can you understand the very real tension that Acts 10 to 12 presents, Galatians, obviously mm-hmm. most of Paul's letters. Um, and, and you can appreciate why, you know, not circumcising Gentiles and eating pork was such, such a huge, mm-hmm. huge deal, you know? 
Um, would that be a good? I mean, that, that seems like that's probably one that maybe. Yeah, if you answer, yeah, you answered the main question. Um, that, that that answer is great. So just retweet on that. Uh, there are all other times where the New Testament writers seem to be tipping their hats uh, possibly towards things in the Apocrypha. Um, whether it's uh, although this is not in the Apocrypha, but when Jude talks about uh, Michael fighting yeah. against uh, Satan for uh, the body of Moses, and it's like there, there's just head tips. Um, in Revelation 12, you have this woman who's surrounded by the seven stars, yeah. uh, and in four Maccabees, uh, the mother is over the moon, uh, and she's surrounded by her sons uh, who are set firmly in heaven, uh, as and they're shining like the stars. Mm. And of course, if you continue to read on Revelation, they overcome <laughs> Babylon, the, the Gentiles who are trying to press them, by uh, their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. And so very similar ideas. And so I think when John is writing Revelation 12, He's tipping his hat back to yeah. uh, Fort Maccabees. And Fort Maccabees, the mother represents Israel as well. And she's more manlier than men and more virtuous than Daniel. And so, yeah, you, you have um, th- these times where the New Testament writers are going to kind of tip their hat. Yeah. Colossians 1, the, the Christ hymn in Colossians 1, what we see in 1 Corinthians also seems uh, to have Paul tipping his hat to like yeah. Wisdom of Solomon chapter 7. And then other times, uh, again, kind of rhetorical fisticuffs uh, where they are going to overturn or push back yeah. at some of the works. Let, let me, uh, oh, there it is right here. Hold on. Give me one second. I don't want to take too much time because that's weird. But th- this is the version that I I liked. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Mm. I'm going to show it for the YouTube. If you're, yeah, if you're just listening to this on audio, I do have a YouTube version. So this is uh, the Cambridge Annotated Study Apocrypha by edited by Howard Clark Key. What's great about this is um, there's all kinds of like space to take notes. And then there's little like, it's almost like little commentary throughout where it explains different things going on, you know? So I, this is the one in my PhD that I read. Oh, there's Susanna right there. The book of Susanna. Um, uh, I thought this was really helpful. It's an NRSV translation. Gosh, this thing's marked up more than my Bible is. Look at <laughs> I feel like for both of us, man, I spent more time in Jewish literature in my PhD than I did in the Bible at some point. Um, yeah. uh, as far as a se- like a, a, um, a secondary literature that helps us understand the Apocrypha, uh, David De Silva has it's it's is it called the Inv- invitation to the apocrypha? Is that um, it's a, probably old now? I don't know if there's probably been a lot of stuff that's yeah, been written I, since then. Yeah, is that the title? Is it introduction to the apocrypha? Maybe, or maybe introduction to the apocrypha, or invitation to the apocrypha. There's Daniel Harrington that has a similar. But oh yeah, right, uh, yeah. De Silva's is fantastic coming from a Protestant perspective. Um, Harrington uh, comes from a Catholic perspective, but it's shorter. Okay, uh, and then you have. Um, I grabbed one too. Uh, invitation to the Septuagint, uh, Karen Jobes. Oh yeah. Uh, that uh, I mean, it's it's going to be the Septuagint, but it's also going to include some of the apocryphal works. But yeah, I, I think going back to uh, David the Silva would be kind of the first okay uh, stop and cool. looking at the the background of those letters. It may have more information than you want, but it's better yeah. to have more than not enough. Well, Joey, thanks so much for the overview and the engaging conversation. And yeah, I would encourage everybody to read the Apocrypha. And we, I mean, I'll have to have you back on to talk about the Old Testament Pseudepigrapha. <laughs> the Apocrypha mm-hmm. is yeah. 14 books, the Pseudepigrapha, which is written over a broader span of time, mm-hmm. uh, but largely the same kind of time period. I think it's over 50 books or whatever that we have in our pseudepigrapha and uh that that'll, that could keep you busy for a while but yeah. uh yeah we can talk about the testament of solomon where he finds this magic ring that calls forth the demons and he <laughs> uh, talks has these conversations with the demons and then he uses the ring to make them build the temple 
That's oh, a fascinating man. book. Uh, yeah, so Sauron in that in Beelzebub that book. <laughs> and Beliar and Azama. We get all the names of uh, these demons. So really fun. So stay stay tuned for part two. Uh, real quick, I uh, want to give a shout out, an unsolicited, unpaid shout out to Denver Seminary. If you're at all excited about what you're hearing from Joey, Joey is a professor at Denver Seminary. So you can uh, check out the website for both on in-person uh, classes. And also you guys have some distant learning options too for people to right. like, no matter who you are, you can tap into Denver Seminary and um, and and engage the Bible further. Um uh, where can people find you, Joey? You got a website or uh, I know you're on social media. Just uh, Yeah, just social media at J-R-R Dodson. So J-R-R like token and then D-O-D-S-O-N on Twitter and Instagram. Cool. Thanks so much for being on the show, bro. We'll, we'll see you again. Thanks, man. Love you, dude. Peace. Peace.